Great. Well, thank you for that reading. It's a great text, isn't it? It's a famous text, a text that we be very familiar with. It's a famous conversation uh, around love between Jesus and Peter. It's a significant conversation. It's a significant conversation for Peter, for Jesus, and his church. But I'm going to be honest, we've kind of arrived at an awkward moment in the text. We've arrived at a, a quite a significant yet poignant moment in this text because they're sitting, eating together, and Jesus is going looking for Peter. He's going to reinstate Peter. But why does Peter need to be reinstated? Why does Peter need to be restored? And what is actually happening around the fire here? Well, I want to spend a little bit of time just telling the backstory of actually how have they got to this point? What things have happened to lead them to this key conversation in text? Because really, this conversation, this text that Julie read out is just the tip of an iceberg. And there's a whole lot of stuff underneath this moment and leading up to this point. So just plotting the journey then, Peter and his disciples have followed Jesus. They've seen him do some incredible things. They've been part of this adventure. They've seen Jesus be arrested. Peter's even fought against the Roman soldiers and chopped off one of the guards' ears. But they've seen Jesus being taken away. They've experienced the loss of Jesus, the grief, the confusion. And now they're here at this point. But what has happened in between Jesus being taken away and Jesus arriving again, now on the beach, alive and well? Well, what happened was Peter followed Jesus. And he followed Jesus to the high priest's court, courtyard. And he could see from afar what was going on, but he was full of fear. Peter wanted to somehow engage, yet scared to do so. And when Peter, this amazing character, some people would even say somebody who had a real, quite a loud, big mouth, very confident, would speak out, is now shying away from proclamation, from proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. This amazing character has denied Jesus three times. The first denial was when he gets close to the high priest's courtyard and a girl on duty, scripture said, says, aren't you one of his followers? And Peter says, no, not, not, not me. The second, which is really significant, was that Peter was standing around a fire. His scripture says he's warming his hands by the fire. Now remember that image because Peter is around a fire and he's thinking, I've just denied Jesus. I, I, I said I'd give my life for him and I've, I've just denied Jesus. Fear's got a hold of me and I, and I couldn't even say to a young girl who was on duty at the high priest courtyard that, that I knew Jesus. He's warming himself and he's feeling bad. Around the fire, the second denial happens. Somebody says, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? No, 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 not me. And then a third time. Somebody actually recognizes me. No, no, I do actually recognize you. You are one of his followers. And a third time, Peter fails to proclaim Jesus publicly. He fails to acknowledge Jesus in front of the people that are around him. I know how that feels like let's be honest, there's moments where we would kind of choose not to speak up about Jesus and we would actually choose to kind of blend in with everybody else. And it's a difficult thing, isn't it? To talk about, to acknowledge, to admit where we are on a weekend and so on, going to church and the things we're involved in. 
I remember when I was at high school, I sat next to a, a lad called Andrew. Now, Andrew was, he was quite a popular kid. He was quite a hard, quite a rough kid. He was legendary known for hitting somebody in the face with a brick, so you didn't want to mess with Andrew. And I was sitting next to Andrew every day, every morning. And when it was a Monday, he would always say to me, what do you do at the weekend? And I'd be like, oh. And I would give him some, you know, some surface things that I did. Oh, I was on my skateboard. Oh, I went to the park. Oh, whatever. But I never said, oh, I went to church. I never said, oh, I went to the youth group on Friday night at the church. But what happened was Andrew's sister, Lucy, started going to the youth group. She started going to the church youth group and was really interested in church. And I knew this, and he knew this, and he knew that I knew this, but we never talked about it. And every Monday, hey, Paul, what did you do at the weekend? And, you know, I never, ever got to admit I stood back. I blended in with the crowd, and I just didn't talk about it. Andrew uh, got involved in the wrong crowds, and he, he drank a lot of alcohol. He took a load of drugs. He stole a car, and he drove a car at high speed with his friend. They hit a bridge. The car left the bridge. The car exploded, and Andrew died. And I never got to talk to Andrew about the youth group. Never got to talk to Andrew about the church. I certainly never got to talk to Andrew about Jesus. And I've regretted it. I regret it ever since. Here, Peter is somebody who sold out for Jesus. Sold out for him. Like he is the man. Like he is, is the rock. Like Peter is the one that you would think would, would proclaim Jesus to anyone. He's not going to be scared of a, of a young girl on the door. He's not going to be scared of a man around the fire. He's not going to deny Jesus. But yet he does three times. Hey, look, we, we all make mistakes. We all fail. Fear gets hold of us sometimes. We get it. We know it. We'd love to pray for anybody that's kind of in that moment. It's like, I've messed up. Like, I, I, I've, I should have stood in there. I should have spoke up there. I just didn't. Love to pray for you and allow Jesus to, to bring freedom to that, healing to that, to reinstate you, to restore you like he does Peter. Peter is a man that would be known for proclaiming Jesus is Lord, yet denied him three times. He's wanting to blend in around the fire. He's wanting to just be like everybody else and not stand out. There is a story um, about a police exam. It's a funny story, actually. A young police officer is taking his final exam in Hendon Police College in North London. When he came to this question, and the question read this, it says, you are on patrol in London when an explosion occurs in a main gas, um, in a main gas, uh, near, main gas street nearby. On investigation, you find out that there's a large hole that's been blown into the footpath, and there's an overturned van lying nearby. Inside the van, there's a strong smell of alcohol. Both occupants, a man and a woman, are injured. You recognize the woman as the wife of your chief inspector, who is at present away on a conference in the USA. Oh, dear. Just at that moment, a man runs from a nearby house, shouting that his wife is expecting a baby, and the shock of the explosion has made the birth imminent. It's all kicking off. Another man is crying for help, having been thrown into the canal by the explosion, and he can't swim. Bearing in mind the provisions of the Mental Health Act, describe in a few words what actions you would take. 
The young officer thought about it for a moment. He picked up his pen and he wrote these words. I would take off my uniform and mingle with the crowd. (laughs) (laughs) We've all been there, haven't we? Like when it's all kicking off, when conversations are happening at work, when things are happening and we know that it's kind of building up and so on. It's so easy to derobe. It's so easy to, to step out of that identity and to talk about the things that happened at the weekend and leave out the moments that like, actually I went to church. I actually, yeah, we, we did, the church did this amazing thing. It was beer on carols. Oh yeah, I was at an alpha course, incredible. Like, it's so easy, like Peter, like the guy in the story, to actually remove the uniform, remove the identity that God's given us and to actually mingle in with the crowd, to blend in. Back to our story then. Peter is a man who's derobed. He's taken off the identity, the robes of being a follower of Jesus, and he's literally enjoying the warmth of the fire, and he's blending in. He's blending in with the crowd. Well, it's worth noting this setting, actually, because the text that Julie's just read out, it's it's a scene that's been set for us. And the writer is highlighting some key imagery, some key things. The text shows us that they're on the shore. Now, this is where the disciples, it all started for them. Remember, Jesus sees the disciples that were fishing, and he says, hey, leave your nets, come and follow me. This is a familiar setting to them. They're on there, and they might have been thinking, hey, remember when we first met Jesus? Remember when we were on the shore? Uh, And he, he called us to be followers of him. They're on the shore again. They're around a fire. This is significant for Peter. Last time Peter was around a fire, he just denied Jesus. There's only two places in John's gospel that uses the word charcoal fire. One of them was when he denied Jesus, Peter denied Jesus. The other is where Jesus is restoring him around a fire. So he's smelling the smells, he's feeling the heat, and he's like, I've been here, I've been here. It's fresh, it's in his mind, he's going to have this awkward conversation with Jesus. But the writer wants to use these imageries and says that Jesus is setting the scene. He's setting the scene and he's bringing him back to the place where he denied him. Peter must be feeling ashamed and regretful. What's Jesus going to say to him? They've not had the conversation. Peter knows that he's failed and he knows that Peter, that Jesus even predicted that he was going to fail. What does Jesus do? Well, the text that Julie just read out, we read and we see that Jesus comes looking for him. He doesn't leave him hanging. He doesn't leave him in a world of pain. He doesn't say, oh yeah, you denied me. You can just, just, just go to the back. I don't want to look at you. I don't want to eat with you. I don't want to talk to you. Like what happened to the whole thing about like you give your life for me? I don't want to talk to you. Jesus goes looking for him. He runs after him. He chases him down and he brings him back and he reinstates and he restores Peter. There's a famous uh, war story. Uh, and in World War I, there was two guys who were best friends. And these two uh, soldiers, they did everything together. They stuck together. They shared letters from home together. They would read things out together. They would laugh together. They'd cry together. And they would fight together. And they made a commitment uh, of saying, let's just stay by each other's side. I've got your back. You have my back. Let's kind of be in this together. And the story goes that they were in the trenches. And the commanding officer says, in a moment, we're going to advance. We're going to go into no man's land. We're going to go towards the enemy. We're going to take the enemy. So he gives the shout. The soldiers come out of the trenches. And our two friends are running on no man's land. It's not long before the commanding officer realizes that the enemy fire is too strong. 
He's looking around and men are dropping and he says, retreat, retreat. Let's get back. Everybody turns and runs. Some of them fall. Some of them go collapsing down into the trenches. One of the friends is looking for his best friend. And he walks up and down the trenches looking for his best friend. And he can't find his best friend. And after looking for some time, he goes to the commanding officer and he says, my friend's out in no man's land. I need to go and get him. The commanding officer says, if you do that, that would be a suicidal mission. There's no way I'm allowing you to go into no man's land alone. Get your friend. That's stupid. That would be a pointless mistake. You're not doing it. However, the story goes that the friend disobeyed the, audience, the, the command. He disobeys the commanding officer and he climbs out of the trench and he runs into no man's land. And the bullets are flying and whizzing past him. And he's looking desperately for his friend. And he finds his friend. His friend's wounded. He can't get back to the trenches. The friend looks down at his friend and they connect and they look each other in the eyes. He picks his friend up and he puts him on his shoulders and he begins to make it back to the trenches. As the bullets are flying and they get wounded, they get hit in the arm and the leg and they fall into the trenches together. The commanding officer comes over and he says, I told you that was a stupid thing to do. What a waste of time. Look, that was a pointless task, a pointless mission. And his friend looks at the commanding officer and says, it wasn't pointless, actually. It wasn't a waste of time. When I got to my friend, he was wounded. And when I looked down at my friend and he eyeballed me, my friend said, I knew that you would come for me. I knew that you'd come for me. Jesus has gone for Peter. He's come looking for Peter. He's, he refuses to leave Peter in no man's land. He refuses to leave Peter in a world of pain, full of regret, and he's going after him. He's going after him to bring him back, to restore him and reposition him, recommission him, and just reinstate him as a follower of Jesus. The text says that they're around the fire. The title is Jesus reinstates Peter, and that's exactly what he's doing and what he's done for Peter by the way he does for us too if you feel like you're on no man's land you're like I'm, I'm wounded I'm in a world of pain I don't know how to get back I don't know how to get back on track whether it be at work whether it be whatever we'd love to pray for you we'd love to pray for you. we believe that Jesus comes looking for you wants to bring you back wants to restore you wants to bring uh, a level of healing and re rest restoration to your life the text says they're around the fire, they're eating. It's familiar. It's interesting in verse 15 that Jesus calls him Simon. He doesn't call him Peter. He renamed him Peter the Rock. Since this thing's happened, he's gone back to his old name. He's calling him Simon again. When you read uh, some of the commentaries, some of the theologians say that maybe Peter didn't live up to the name of the Rock. Maybe because of what Peter did, he just didn't live up to that name. And Jesus is now starting at this low point of saying, look, I know what's happened. I know, I, I know, who, I know what's gone on. And he starts and he begins to rebuild Peter. He begins to restore Peter. Asking him, do you love me? Yeah, yeah, I love you. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Do you love me? It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? Like, why is he doing that? Because Peter's denied him three times. 
He's asking him if he loves him three times because he's failed three times. And every time he asks him, he's healing that one wound. Do you, do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. He restores and he heals each time. With every question, he's restoring Peter. Three times denied, three times do you love me? But it doesn't end there, does it? Jesus doesn't say, hey, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, you do. Good. Thumbs up. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, good. Oh, God, I'm glad. That's good. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, oh, good. Hey, we're friends then. That's great. He says, do you love me? Yeah. Okay. Out of that love, feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, 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 I love you. Okay. Out of that love, feed my sheep. And basically what's happening here is Peter is being restored by Jesus. And Jesus said, Peter, if you love me, if you really love me, I've got something for you to do. And if we look at scripture and we realize that Jesus isn't a single person here, Jesus is married. Jesus is married to the church. The bride is the church. Jesus' bride is the church. And Jesus is saying, if you love me and my bride, love my bride. If you love me, love my bride. If you love me, love the church. If you love me, feed the young person. If you love me, spiritually adopt those who are new to the faith. If you love me, love the people who have been at church for 20, 30, 40 years. If you love me, out of that love, love my church, love my bride too. Jesus loves the church. He loves his bride. He's asking Peter to do the same thing, to love his church. He's repositioning him. He's re uh, reinstating him in his calling. It's an amazing thing that he's doing. Reflecting on Peter's journey then, Peter's not the guy that you would have given the job to of, of starting the church. He's not the guy that you would give him the job to to speak to thousands. Like, you'd be forgiven to, to think, oh, I, I wouldn't put Peter in that position. Like, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't choose him. Like, if you had his credentials, you'd be like, oh, no, no. This is the guy that, that couldn't actually acknowledge Jesus in front of, like, th this young girl. And, and these are the two guys. Like, we won't put him in the position of, of proclaiming Jesus as Lord. It, you just wouldn't be someone that you would choose. Yet what happens is Jesus takes the person who's failed three times to proclaim Jesus as Lord. And he puts him in front of thousands. Where he's denied Jesus in front of a few He's proclaiming Jesus in front of a few thousand on the day of Pentecost. He's completely turned it around. He's taken his brokenness, his pain. He's taken his denial. He's taken his failures. He's pouring in his healing, love of restoration, and he's recommissioning him. He's building his church upon him. Going back to the text as well then, you can see that Jesus says to him, you know, when you're older, you're going to be taken and your arms will be stretched out uh, and you'll be taken places you don't want to go. And then it says, um, th this is a, a, almost a, a nudge. It's, it's a hint to the type of death that Peter would take. Christian tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down. So Peter didn't feel like he could have the same sort of death as Jesus. So he requested, turn me upside down. I'm not, I'm not worthy to, to have the same death as Jesus I want to be crucified upside down. This is a man completely turned around. Literally, a man who denies Jesus is now proclaiming Jesus. A man who walked away from Jesus is now running to Jesus. A man that didn't tell people about Jesus is now telling thousands. And, and, and he's, he's, Jesus is building the church upon this guy. 
Jesus can step into the place of pain, the place where we fail, the place where we let him down, and he can pour his healing love. He can restore us. He can reinstate us like he did in our text with Peter. He can recommission us. He can put us back on track, and he can do amazing, incredible things with our lives. There's a Japanese um, way of restoring something. I'm going to hopefully say this right. It's, a, it's called kintsukuroi. Kintsukuroi. And basically what they do is when they get a pot, a teapot, or, or a bowl like this, if it fails and breaks at the very point of break, the very point where the, the pot has failed to remain together, they pour in liquid gold and they restore a pot. They don't chuck away the pot. They don't throw it out. They keep the pots. They keep the teapots. And they heal it and they restore it with pure gold. And they believe that actually now it's more valuable. Of course it is. It's got gold in it. They believe now it's worth more value. They believe now it, it tells a story. They see the cracks, but they see the gold. As I was reading this text, that's what I felt God was saying today. Like for some of us here, we feel like that broken pot and God's saying, that's okay. I can put you back together. I can pour in my healing love, my thing of my kingdom, which, which is gold, which will last forever. I can restore you. I can, I can create something beautiful. I can use it. And you can continue being useful in my kingdom. And you can see and do and hold great things. Just concluding then with my story. Started off in a, in a setting of, of my school, in high school. Remembering the school uniform that Andrew wore, remembering the buildings that I would see every day, remembering the smell of the school canteen, all these familiar things. A few years later, after I denied and was unable to talk about Jesus in front of my friend, I found myself at the front of church on my knees in tears, as I sometimes do, and I regave my life back to Jesus. I said, God, I, I don't want to deny you. I don't want to deny you again. I'm only human. It probably, possibly will happen, but I don't want it to. Like my heart's not that. Lord, I want you to pour in your healing, restoration. I want you to reposition me. After that event, around a year later, I took a job as a Christian schools worker. So I was working in nine high schools and 88 primary schools, going around telling people about Jesus, doing assemblies and roadshows and, and setting up Christian unions in schools. And I remember my first time back at the school where I denied Jesus. And I remember walking in and seeing all the pupils with their school uniforms on. I remember seeing the canteen, the school hall, the classroom where I denied him, where Andrew and I would sit. I remember all the familiar sounds and smells and images. And as I stepped forward in front of a whole year of school, I looked at some of the teachers that I recognized. I looked at the pupils with the uniform that I recognized and I opened my mouth and I spoke about Jesus. And there was a level of healing, restoration, repositioning, recommissioning, reinstating that took place in my heart. Jesus is the great redeemer. He's the great restorer. We see it in Peter. We see it in our lives. We see it in the church. We experience it today. It's my prayer that if you're in that place, know that Jesus comes looking for you. He brings you back. He wants to renew you and reinstate you.